Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, February 17th, 2013. Today's message is titled, Repent and Believe, by Pastor Ryan Cochran, and based on scripture, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20, and chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Father God, we are here to hear from you. Lord, we know that you continue to speak to us through your word by your spirit. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be true this morning as we come and as we listen. Lord, we are open. So, Lord, do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord be with you. This morning we are beginning a new sermon series called Repent and Believe. This Sunday is the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, In many Christian traditions, Christians receive this time of the year as a time to uh, prepare themselves uh, for the celebration, uh, for the heartache, for the joy of Good Friday and Easter. And so uh, many Christians will choose to fast throughout this time of year. Uh, Perhaps a day during the week they'll fast, or maybe throughout the entire season of Lent we'll choose to give up something good um, as as a discipline, uh, as a way to to ask the Holy Spirit to to take this thing that we enjoy, uh, to take this good thing, and to, as we give it up, that God would use it to crucify our flesh. We recognize that our flesh often leads us to sin, often leads us to wander away from God. And these acts of fasting, of self-sacrifice, are a way for us to ask the Spirit of God to direct our hearts to Him. So some Christians intentionally observe Lent in this way, and others do not. Uh, But whatever the case may be for you, I do believe that there is wisdom in this tradition that's been passed down to us, that during these weeks before Holy Week, that we would, with intention uh, and with deliberateness, is that a word? Deliberateness? <laughs> with intention uh, and deliberately, with a sincere heart, that we would focus on those things that have distracted us. Focus on those things that, have made, that made the cross of Christ necessary in the first place. It was our sin, our disobedience, our wandering away from God that was the cause of Christ's death. And so as we prepare for Good Friday and for Easter, there's wisdom in giving ourselves time and space to reflect on our heart before God, to name things in our life that we need to turn away from, to recognize recognize places in our life where we have wandered from God, and to allow Him to turn us back to Him. So over these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at stories in the Gospels where Jesus called people to repent and believe. We want to learn from these stories. The title of this sermon series, Repent and Believe, comes from Jesus' own words. They are words that he himself said in his own ministry. In fact, the very first sermons that Jesus preached had this message, Repent and Believe. 
Before the Sermon on the Mount, before the Sermon on the Plain, before the Sermon in the Upper Room with his disciples, the very first sermons that Jesus preached in his his earthly ministry had this message. Repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we see that Jesus in his sermon had three points. Like all good preachers, he had three points. That was a joke. It wasn't a very good one. He had three points. The first was, the kingdom of God is near. The second point was that the arrival of this kingdom should lead us to repent. And the third is the call to believe. The kingdom of God is near. The arrival of this kingdom should lead us to repent. And third, we are called to believe this good news. This morning we're going to take a look at each of these three points in Jesus' sermon. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God. Jesus' life and his earthly ministry were focused, was focused on the kingdom of God. It was the motivating idea that compelled Jesus in his ministry, that compelled him to go all the way to the cross, that the kingdom of God was near. And this was the truth that he proclaimed to his disciples and to everyone who came to hear him. The kingdom of God is near. What does this mean? Have you given much thought in your life? Have you given much attention and reflection to the meaning of the kingdom of God? kingdom of God, as I said, was the driving force behind Jesus and his ministry. It was his passion. Have you given much thought to what the kingdom of God means? In his ministry, Jesus never really gives a definition of the kingdom. Instead, what we see in his ministry is that Jesus does two things in order to communicate to us what the kingdom is all about. The first thing that Jesus does is he tells parables. Most of Jesus' parables begin with what words? The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is like. And then Jesus goes on to tell a story about what the kingdom of God is like and gives us an image of what the kingdom of God is like. And these parables about the kingdoms were, kingdom was an invitation for us to see the world in a different way. To see the world from the perspective of the kingdom of God, that according to Jesus Christ has come near. In these parables, as we read them throughout the Gospels, they often disturbed people. They especially disturbed and angered people who thought that they were very close to the kingdom. Those are the people who heard the parables and got a sense of what Jesus was talking about, and they became angry because they realized that maybe, according to Jesus, they were not as close to the kingdom as they thought that they were. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. What did that story say? It said that a Samaritan, a man who was despised, who was considered an outsider from the people of God, that that man was entering into the kingdom of God before a priest and a Levite, the insider of insiders, priests and Levites, were outside the kingdom of God. And this Samaritan is the one who was entering into it. Or maybe to put it in terms that you and I would understand in our today today, is that 
If Jesus were to tell this story today, he would be telling us perhaps that the prostitute on the downtown east side may be entering the kingdom of God before the lifelong member of Ebenezer Baptist Church. What about the parable of the prodigal son? It was a story about the younger son that we we know wandered away and squandered everything that his father gave to him. But because he came back, because he came back to his father's home, he receives his father's forgiveness. His father throws a party for him. While the older brother, the one who stayed, the one who everyone around thought was the righteous brother, he's left out of the party. He stays outside of the celebration. Maybe if Jesus were telling us this parable today, he would be trying to communicate to us that the person who outwardly lives a good life, the one who looks like a good citizen, but who does not recognize his need for God's forgiveness, is farther away than the person who has never done a good thing, but who recognizes his need for God. When Jesus is calling his disciples and he begins to eat with tax collectors and sinners, people are asking him, Jesus, why are you doing this? And Jesus says to them, I have come for sinners, not for righteous. It is the ones who are sick who need a doctor, not those who are healthy. I have called, come to call those who know that they need me. These parables were told to open our eyes to see the world in a different way to see that acceptance in the eyes of God, receiving the love and forgiveness of God, experiencing the friendship of God, has nothing to do with how much power we have, with how clever we are, with how much money we have, with what kind of family we were born into. The kingdom of God is not about competing against others. It's not about getting the best of other people and winning in some way. Entering the kingdom of God requires one thing, repentance. One thing. It requires the confession that our lives are a mess without God and that we need him to put them in order. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, calls this being poor in spirit. It is those who are poor in spirit, those who recognize their need for God, who will inherit the kingdom. Those who don't think they need God, those who are not poor in spirit, won't inherit the kingdom, not because it's not available to them, but because they don't think there's any reason for them to repent and receive it. They're already okay. Jesus talks about the kingdom in parables. And these parables are told in such a way as to turn our world upside down. The things that we think must be important, outward righteousness, getting noticed by other people, winning in whatever way that may mean in our lives, doing all the right things, that is not what God is seeking. What is important is recognizing our need for God and being willing to repent. So Jesus tells these parables in order to call people to see the world in this way. What is important, what success means, what is valuable to God is not what is valuable uh, to the world. So repent and see the world in this way. 
So Jesus, in order to communicate the kingdom, tells parables. And the second thing I suggest that Jesus does to uh, explain what the kingdom is all about is he demonstrates it in his own life. In his own ministry, he shows the world what the kingdom looks like. So in addition to telling these stories, these parables, uh, Jesus goes about his ministry doing certain kinds of miracles. Jesus overcomes the power of sickness and death and blindness. He makes the lame walk. All of us in our lives, when we are sick or when someone else in our family is sick, we get this deeper sense that all is not right in the world. Especially if the sickness is is, uh, perhaps life-threatening. There's this fear, there's this understanding that all is not right here. We see in Jesus' ministry that he enters into the lives of the sick and he heals them. He restores them. He reverses their circumstances. And through these miracles, Jesus is demonstrating what the kingdom of God is like. It is a place of goodness and health and beauty. It is a place where all is made right. So Jesus demonstrates the kingdom through his miracles, and he also demonstrates the kingdom through the community of people that he gathers around him. These people that are walking around Galilee during this time, um, as I've said before, they are exhibit A of the kingdom of God. It is a strange group of people walking around Galilee at this time. The 12 disciples that have come around Jesus and the 72 and the few hundred that eventually gather around him are from people of all different walks of life. For example, in our story today, we have an example of a tax collector named Levi, a Jewish man who collected taxes for the Roman government. People don't like paying taxes anyways, but when it was for a government like Rome who had conquered their land, this man was a traitor. He's one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Another one of the 12 disciples was Simon the Zealot. He was given that name because he was a part of a group of people who we would call today freedom fighters. Zealots were a group of people who tried to violently overthrow Rome in order to set Israel free from them. So Levi, a man who for his own benefit has joined forces, who's joined league with Rome for his own personal financial benefit, and Simon, who was willing to kill Romans in order for them to be set free, now they're walking down the road together, following Jesus. In our story today, in these first two stories of the calling of Andrew and and Simon and James and John, the first two uh, times when Jesus calls disciples to him, it happens on a beach. And I was thinking about that this week. And I think that Andrew, Simon, James, and John, they would have known Levi. Because Levi's tax collection booth was on the beach. It was right there. If they paid taxes, it was probably to Levi. They likely didn't like Levi very much. And yet these are the very first people that Jesus calls to be his disciples. This is a demonstration of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? Look at those who are following Jesus. There's this group of people from all different kinds of walks of life, all of who have one thing in common. They have submitted to Christ as king. 
That's the one thing they have in common. And so throughout Jesus' ministry, as, as Jesus spoke in these parables and as he demonstrated what the kingdom of God was all about, as they would see this incredible community walking around the Galilean countryside, as they would hear him talking about this new reality through his parables, where, he, where peace and success and contentment don't come from competing with others, don't come from acquiring power, don't come from being wealthy, they want a part of it. And they come to him and they ask him, what is this kingdom of God and how can I enter into it? What must I do to enter into the kingdom of God? What work must I do to enter into this beautiful picture of this kingdom that you're talking about? Because this life that I'm living isn't working for me. I want to leave it and I want to enter into this thing that you're talking about and this thing that you're living, Jesus. What do I do? How do I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus said to them, this is what you need to do. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. The story of the earliest disciples, Andrew and Simon, James and John, Levi, that all the stories of the very first people who heard Jesus' message The kingdom of God, this upside-down kingdom of God, is near. And they were the first people to repent and to believe in it. So we need to talk a little bit about repentance. The kingdom of God is near, this new reality that Jesus Christ is bringing, that he demonstrated and talked about in his ministry. It is near, and so we are invited to repent. So what is repentance? The most common definition of repentance is simply turning around. To recognize that our life is headed in a certain direction, going a certain way, and that we need to turn around, to not continue in that direction and to turn and face God. My mom tells a story about a time when we were little. I think I've probably told this story before. Um, But if I have, I apologize for that. But it's a great image of repentance. Uh, When I was younger, we lived in Michigan. For those of you who uh, aren't familiar with the U.S. geography, Michigan is the one that looks like the mitten up there in the north, just south of Canada. And we lived uh, right here in a place called Brooklyn. And then my mom took my brother and I shopping to Lansing, which was up here. And the state of Ohio is down here, off to the southeast. And so my mom was having a long day. Whenever you take kids shopping, it's uh, not always that fun. And we were back in the car. We were ready to go home. And my brother and I, of course, began doing what kids do in the back of cars. When they're bored, they began fighting. We began crying. And my mom was getting very stressed and very upset. And all she wanted to do was to be home. And then she saw the sign on the side of the road that said, Welcome to Ohio. So not only was she not near home, she was now over two hours away from home. She somewhere took a uh, a wrong turn, and she saw the sign, Welcome to Ohio. Now that sign was painful, wasn't it? That sign was a terrible sight for my mom in that moment. It was a discouragement. It was a picture of the fact that she was a long way from home. 
It was a sign that the two boys crying in the back seat, she was going to have to continue to listen to them for two or three more hours. The sign was a disappointment. The sign was a frustration. But wasn't the sign also a blessing? What if the sign hadn't been there? How much further would she have driven in the wrong direction? Or what if, even more ridiculously, she would have ignored the sign altogether and just kept on going? The call to repentance is a sign. It is a sign that tells us that our lives are going in the wrong way. And when we hear Christ calling us to repent, it is rarely comfortable. It rarely feels good to have these things revealed to us that we need to turn away from. It is often painful to realize that we need to turn around and often painful to go through that process. But this call to repentance is for our good. It is for our good. It is how we turn around and enter into the kingdom. To enter the kingdom of God, that is near, Jesus says, we must repent. We must confess and admit that in our own lives, in our own plans, in our own agendas, that we're going the wrong way. And we need to repent. And I want us to think of repentance not only about turning away from individual sins, individual bad things that we do. All of us uh, have um, our addictions. All of us have the things that we hold on to. And we need to repent from those. That is part of repentance. But in addition to thinking about turning away from individual sins in our lives, there's another way to think about repentance. The word repentance is to turn around. And as we're thinking about the stories of Andrew and Simon and James and John, what we see from them is not that they were called to turn around from some bad thing that they were doing. Their repentance was to reorder their entire life. They heard the good news of the kingdom of God, and they repented, and they came under the authority of Jesus. Their lives were going in a certain direction. They were fishermen. Andrew and Simon and James and John were probably going to be fishermen for their entire lives, probably take over their father's business. They had a plan for their life. They were going in a certain direction. They weren't even really doing anything wrong. And yet Jesus comes and he says, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. they realized that they were not seeking first the kingdom. They were working hard. They were taking care of their families. But repentance for them meant placing their whole lives under the authority of Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus was telling them this good news, this sign, repent. Your life is going in the wrong direction. Come and follow me. Turning around for these disciples was not about giving up particular actions. Repentance is not just about changing our behavior. It is about reorienting our entire life around Christ and his kingdom. So as we think about repentance, it's important for us to think about repentance in this way. Simply not about changing our actions, our outward actions 
Repentance it is about the direction and the posture of our hearts toward God. What is the direction of our life? Christ calls us to a whole new way of life where he is first. Seek first the kingdom of God. To a way of life where nothing is more important than him. To a way of life where all of our possessions, all of our time, all of our money, all of our attention is directed towards serving Christ and following him. That is repentance. And if we only think about repentance as changing little behaviors in our life, we will never truly experience the freedom that comes from walking in the kingdom and serving him fully. So as we go through this sermon series of Repent and Believe, that's what I want us to think about when it comes to the idea of repentance, a reorienting of our entire lives so that it comes under the authority of Christ. We are called to repent, and we are called to believe. Repent and believe. It's important to know here that we're called to believe not just in anything, but to believe in the one who created us, to believe in the one who can truly save us. People in our world talk about believing in things all of the time. People believe in a cause. In many post-game interviews after big sporting events, we hear athletes talking about how they believed in themselves. You know, we have the, the announcer asking them a question. You know, how did you do it? How did you win the game? Well, I believed in myself. I believed in my teammates, and we won. I have no idea what that means. Maybe that's why I didn't become a professional athlete. I never learned to believe in myself. Probably has more to do with the fact that I'm five foot seven, that I didn't become a professional athlete. But people talk about believing in things all of the time. Christ says that we are to repent and believe to believe that the kingdom of God is near and that it is available to us now to enter into it. The good news is that in Christ, the kingdom of God is near. This new reality where success and contentment does not come from our own striving, does not come from our own cleverness, does not come from our own ability, but comes from simply repenting and confessing our need for God. This is what we are to believe in. That when we are going in the wrong direction, that if we turn around, Christ is ready to receive us and to welcome us into his kingdom. And this belief, this belief in the kingdom of God has great power in our lives. When we believe in this new reality called the kingdom of God, And when we enter into it through repentance, through turning away from our own plans and our own agendas, we discover that this belief has the power to change the whole course of our lives, to take the mess and disorder of our lives and to make our lives into something good and beautiful. And this is what the disciples discovered. They had their plans for their lives. Their lives were set in a certain motion. They were fishermen doing their thing. But they turned around and they set their hearts on Christ and his kingdom, and that changed everything for them. When we believe, not just in anything, not just in ourselves or whatever, when we believe in Christ, when we believe in him who created us, 
when we believe in him who has the power to save us, it can change our lives. It does change our lives. This belief comes with great power to make the impossible possible in our lives, helps us to overcome circumstances that we did not think we could overcome. This is what the disciples discovered when they chose to believe and to follow. So I ask today, what does repentance mean for you? What direction is your life going in? Have you committed fully to Christ and to his kingdom in your life? Or does your life consist, uh, mostly consist of your own plans and your own agendas? And maybe Christ fits in here someplace, somewhere, maybe. Do you seek first the kingdom of God? Turn around. Repent. Turn to Christ. Seek first his kingdom message of the Gospels is that Christ is the presence of the kingdom. And so when we turn around and turn to him, we have something to turn and enter into because through his death on the cross, we have been saved from the mess of our lives. Even though we have wandered far from God, we have traveled down a road far away from him, the message of the cross, the message of the kingdom of God is that Christ is there waiting for you when you turn around. Let's pray. Father God, we do confess to you that we have walked in ways, as the song says, we are prone to wander, prone to leave you, prone to leave the God that we love. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand that it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. That it is the poor in spirit, those who recognize our need for you, who will enter the kingdom of God. And so, Lord, I pray that during this a season of the year, Lord, that you would reveal all of those places in our heart where we believe that we do not need you, that we are on our own, that we are capable and sufficient in and of ourselves to make ourselves happy, to bring joy. God, I pray that we would learn to repent, to turn around and to come to you to confess our need for you. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.